This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Nourish the Flame Within. Our authors are Lynette Avis and David Brown. Joining us from the United Kingdom are Lynette and David. Welcome. Hi there. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tell us about the title of this book, Nourish the Flame Within. Where did that come from? What does it entail? Well, Nourish the Flame Within is uh, a metaphor for the, uh, the energy of the human spirit. Um, and you can draw that energy in to nourish that flame within yourself and use it for better health, um, better well-being, uh, and be able to um, make the most out of your life. Are there any specific keys in uh, developing a better health, a better health condition in your life? Um, yes, there is really. Um, to be aware of uh, the fact that there is a subtle energy around you and that um, you're a part of that subtle energy. And once you understand that, you can use the energy to enhance your health. You can um, use that energy in very specific ways. Um, there's a, a, a knowledge, you know, that um, the Chinese and um, many Eastern cultures have that we don't really seem to have so much in the West. But I think we're um, catching up these days. You know, many more people now will uh, be very happy to go and have treatments such as acupuncture or... Um, uh, cranial sacral therapy or Reiki, these kinds of uh, um, therapies to, to uh, enhance their well-being. And all of these, these therapies are actually um, interacting with that subtle energy. Food supplements and vitamin supplements, do they have a, a place in nourishing the flame within? Not really directly. We do talk in the book about the fact that people really do need to take care of their um, physical health in that way and be very mindful of the sorts of things that they put into their bodies and that um, food obviously good food is a key to um, you know good well-being and um, good health and, and also the quantities that we all take our food in um, in the west are probably far too much and we do talk about that about being mindful of that and to get the right quantities of um, food as much as the right qualities of food um, as far as sort of supplements are concerned we don't really talk about those kinds of things in the book no you talk about drawing the energy into the body and uh, rather than just resorting to food all the time being able to use that energy that we can draw in from the environment around us. So that can include things like meditation, that can include things like Reiki, but it can also include the environment that you find yourself in, so the friends and family, uh, positive people that can have a positive impact on your well-being, that therefore has uh, a positive impact on your health, uh, so that we're kind of relying on a, a more holistic sense of health and well-being rather than simply uh, either a, a medical or a food supplement way of doing that. Tell our listeners, uh, what motivated you to put this book together? Um, well, it all really started uh, for me when I had um, a severe bout of flu, and um, I, I had never been so sick, uh, and I was laid up on uh, my sofa for a good three weeks. Um, it's quite a long story, but uh, I, I saw several doctors and um, they really couldn't help me um, along the way. Eventually, I was diagnosed with um, ME and, um, or chronic fatigue syndrome. And um, this, this is really what led me to, um, to write the book. It was really my own very, very poor health. And the fact that I couldn't get any help from uh, medical doctors because 
they didn't know how to help me. You know, that isn't an illness that they really have direct answers for. And with that illness, one has to just um, let it take its course, whatever that course is. And so for me, it was um, a great journey of discovery about different ways to actually bring myself back to well health. Um, I, I went through a great deal of pain along the way um, with my very poor health. And, um, I, I, and I, I actually realized that, I, that as the doctors couldn't help me, I had to help myself. And I found um, a Chinese acupuncturist who actually told me a lot of uh, things about uh, the Chinese way of looking at health and the energy system. And that sent me on a journey um, of my own. Um, and I have now uh, become um, a holistic therapist. And that led me to writing Nourish the Flame Within, uh, that, that journey of my own of really very, very poor health, being very sick with, um, with that illness. This book is certainly a, an unusual book in the content and what it covers. Who do you think it's going to appeal to and why? Well, I think it's going to appeal to anyone who has very poor health, as I did, and who, who are looking for their own answers to put their health back together, or who are looking for some answers um, where they can actually take some control themselves alongside their own medical practitioner because I think very often in the West we put our own health in the hands of others and, and what we don't realize and I know I didn't realize and didn't really think about or contemplate until I became so sick was that my own health is my responsibility and that I had an impact on my health and I made myself so sick and so um, I think it will appeal to um, many people not just if you are sick but also you know why wait till you're sick to start taking care of your health we can take care of our health every single day you know we can avoid being sick by the things that we do and um, if we do the correct things in our life, then we are less likely to become uh, sick in the way that I became sick. So I think for everybody, it's a good book for everyone. Now, this is a lifestyle journey for you, 164 pages. Describe the process of putting this together. How long did it take? Well, I mean, for myself, I would say that um, this has been like a lifetime journey for me. Um, although myself I haven't really um, suffered from bad health uh, for me it's more been about a journey of self-discovery and self-understanding um, and having a life really of finding that life is really com has been really confusing for me and, um, and I've tried to find answers uh, and I've always looked to other people for answers um, but often found that it wasn't the other people that could help me I had to be able to find a way of helping myself um, and I used to look to all kinds of things. I used to uh, read books and watch movies um, and used to wish and hope that I could find somebody maybe a bit like Yoda, you know, from the uh, Star Wars series yes. or Professor Dumbledore from the Harry Potter movies who could actually help me out and um, give me the answers. But I finally found somebody who did. Um, but he just kind of pointed me to the fact that actually the answers lie deep inside of me. The answers are actually part of what it is to be human. And what we have to do, each of us, is take a, a journey ourselves um, to be able to understand the things that we really struggle with in our lives and face the challenges that we have ourselves, which is what makes it such an individual journey. So the motivation for me to write the book, I know for Lynette it's also been about health and well-being, but for me, it's really just been about trying to help people to find the answers to their own life uh, confusion, their own life challenges, um, and to help them actually uh, achieve some, some sense of um, self-understanding and some peace and harmony. Are there some underlying themes in your book that you'd like to pass along? I think mainly about energy. 
that I think that really is the main message of the book. Um, that uh, there are answers out there, and um, that being sick and ill is a very tough time, but it can be avoided. It, uh, well health and good health is something that we all need to have. Um, for many of us, we are fortunate enough to have it very early in life, but we do things that make that impact our health in a negative way. Um, and I, I suppose really just that, you know, uh, that there are good things that we can aspire to and um, there are things that we can do that will take away some of those good things in our life, such as our, our good health. Um, but we, we can... Um, we can help ourselves. We can help ourselves with the right knowledge and the right understanding. We can all help ourselves. And David? I think the big issue in today's society really seems to be to do with stress. Um, that we work so many hours and that we put ourselves under so much pressure to perform at work, um, to be great mums and dads, to be uh, great work colleagues and friends to people. Um, and that a lot of the time we actually forget about ourselves. And we forget that uh, if we don't look after ourselves, then we can't be those great mums and dads. We can't be those great businessmen. We can't be those great people that we actually really want to be. So the message of the book is to, you know, take care of that flame that uh, is within each one of us. And the book actually highlights some very, very particular areas where that can be achieved. Now, they're not the only areas that there are available. Uh, but the book very heavily looks at meditation. The book heavily looks at Reiki as a way of trying to help with uh, self-healing. Um, it also looks at martial arts and also areas of self-development where we can find ways of just trying to nourish that flame, even if it's just going for a walk, even if it's just having some quiet time at home on your own, even if it's just talking to um, a great friend on Skype or on the telephone just finding a way of trying to get that inner strength uh, bolstered and recharge the batteries so that we can take on the challenges that life has to offer. And you've broken this down into several segments. One is science. Number two yeah. is access the you inside. Mm -hmm. number, yeah. number three is quiet, peace, and meditation. Then solace and connection to the self and keep the Flame Burning, Martial Arts, and others. You have uh, a very complete book here. Was there anything challenging about putting this book together? I think, for me, the science has been a really, really interesting part of it. Um, and the reason the science is in there is because for a lot of people, they look at or they think of energy and they think of Reiki or meditation, and they think it's uh, kind of a bit out there, a bit mystical, a bit like, oh, that's not really for me. Um, and the purpose of the science is to give it some real grounding, some real scientifically based evidence that actually says to people, look, this stuff really, really works. You know, if you want to have great health, meditation is a great way of, of doing that. Um, and it's been a challenge trying to come to an understanding of that science. And it's been a challenge to try and um, bring across to make it palatable for people so that they can actually understand that and really go, yeah, okay, this is actually something that I can see that it could work for me. Maybe I'm going to make that step and I'm actually going to start making some changes in my life in that direction because I can actually see the benefit from it. And I would actually agree with David on that. The science chapter of the book is there um, to try and explain to people that... Um, Energy is, is really based in science. It, it isn't something um, um, sort of wafty um, or, or, you know, or, or feathery. It, it's real. The energy that we're talking about is real and that it's a part of every human being. Um, for me, as a holistic uh, practitioner, I have many people come to me with poor health now in exactly the same way as I had such very poor health and I was so sick. And, um, 
And and the, one of the first things when I say to them about meditation is that they say things to me like, well, I don't want to learn to chant. And I say to them, well, you really don't have to do, you know, you don't have to chant to go into meditation. That's not what it's about. Chanting, you know, is just a method of getting yourself into meditation. But there are other methods of doing it which are nothing to do with that, just such as your breathing. And, and then I explain to them that meditation is really like going into semi-sleep, like being in a daydream, and that's what meditation is. And in that particular space, um, we can gain a great deal of um, well health because really what you're doing is you're resting the mind and body and it's actually a better rest than sleeping in fact so um, so I agree with David it's really about the challenge has been I think to get that message across to people that this is something for everybody you know, it's something for us in the West, because if something works and makes you better, then that's got to be good. The title of the book again is Nourish the Flame Within. Lynette Avis and David Brown, thank you for joining me from the United Kingdom this morning. Thank you, thank you so much for where, asking us. Where do we get copies of your book? Um, it's available online. It's available on Amazon. Um, it's available at Barnes & Noble as well. And do you folks have a website by any chance? Um, there is a website at the moment, Lynette Avis and David Brown. They can get it from there. Also from the publisher, um, Author House. Very good. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank, thank you very much. much. For Author Talk, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. I welcome to the program Sakina Ohuru, who is going to talk about her book entitled Journey to Birth, the story of a midwife's journey and a reflection of the heroic women she served along the way. Welcome, Sakina. Hi, Jay, and uh, thank you for having me. This is a book that is certainly topical in today's world. Many women are choosing midwifery. That's yeah, the yeah. right term. <laughs> Thank you. Well, midwifery as a as an alternative to hospital stays and the typical current process of delivering babies. Tell me about your book and tell me about your story. How did you get into midwifery and uh, how is it currently perceived and growing in popularity? Well, Jay, you're right in that it is growing in popularity. More women are seeking midwife-assisted labor and deliveries nowadays. And um, part of my inspiration for writing my book was because I really wanted to write about something meaningful, and I wanted to inspire women, midwife students, uh, doulas, or entrepreneurs, anyone who is looking towards doing something different and new in their life. Uh, my book not only reflects on my journey and the challenges I encountered uh, while studying to be a midwife, but also the challenges that occurred while uh, creating and developing my private practice. So it is empowering, it is enlightening, and um, hopefully not only will it inspire, but hopefully it will educate women 
and families about the midwifery model of care and about midwives in general. And you are board certified, licensed, all of those important aspects of medical care. How does that process take place? Well, yes, you're right, Jay. I am a licensed midwife in the state of New York and New Jersey, which means that I have, um, I want to say, excuse me, I have attended an accredited program, which means it it has been approved by the state, state of New York. Um, The school I attended was SUNY Downstate Midwifery Program, and I have a master's degree in midwifery, a Bachelor of Science degree, and a certification. I sat for the boards, which means that I passed the boards, of course, because I wouldn't be able to practice if I didn't. And then I applied for my license to practice in the state of New York and New Jersey. So I have actually uh, a license to practice in both states. And I, currently I have a, um office space in, in New York, in Harlem, and, and one in Teaneck, New Jersey. If there's someone in our audience that's thinking of trying natural birth methods and midwifery, what should they look for? Well, you know, I would say the first thing is to really come to terms with what is important to you as a woman, as a family, as a couple. Uh, when I, what I mean by that is, is it important for you to have someone who is very involved in your care? Is it very important to have um, some sort of control as a partner, as a woman, as a couple, as a family? Meaning, how much control do you want to have over your birth, your labor and birth process? They want their practitioner to value who they are as a client, as a patient. And what I mean by that is validating who they are and what they bring to the care, to the, to the relationship. Who are they? Are they a single parent? Do they have uh, multiple health concerns? Do they have social issues? Are they a heterosexual partnership? Is it a practitioner who values that? So what I'm getting at is it really depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking to have a more sacred labor and birth experience, if you're looking to have a less medicalized uh, labor and birth uh, experience, then you probably would want a midwife or someone who values that. Some people have concerns about safety at home. Is, is home birth a safe procedure? That's a good question. Unfortunately, most people believe that pregnancy, labor, and birth is a unsafe or, or, let me say, a high-risk uh, process or condition. Um, most of us have been led to believe that uh, pregnancy, labor, and birth, the care that women receive should be care received in a hospital environment. However, women who are low-risk, free of any health conditions like a heart condition or high blood pressure or diabetes, low-risk women can seek care from a midwife and can also have a labor and delivery outside of the hospital. And there are studies showing how safe births outside of the hospital are. Um, And we can get into that. I can quote you uh, the most recent studies that were done. Yes, please do. Showing that um, home birth is just as safe, if not safer, in some incidences, than hospital or physician-assisted labor and delivery. And how long have you been a midwife? I've been practicing for 17 years, and all of my experience has been in out-of-hospital settings, meaning I practice as a midwife in a birth center setting, and my private practice is 10 years old. So I've been offering women uh, pregnancy, labor, and birth services outside of the hospital very successful, I might add. Congratulations on that. Who do you think your book is going to appeal to and why? My book would appeal to women, men, couples who are seeking information about midwifery, uh, the model of midwifery, about midwives, about information, education, about the safety of home birth. So it, it can attract everyone and anyone who wants information about home birth, out-of-hospital settings, and anyone who 
thought about going out on their own, starting their own practice, starting a new business, being an entrepreneur. What motivated you to put this together, this book? Well, you know, I would journal each labor and birth experience, each, each client that I um, took into my practice. After their labor and birth journey, I would journal. And I realized that I had about, you know, three or four journals that was stacking up. So um, I had um, talked to a former client about, you know, how many journals I had about each labor and birth experience. And she is a writer, and she offered to have my um, work reviewed by an author. And so I took those journals to an author, and she was very impressed and had encouraged me to rewrite them because I hand I had handwritten them. <laughs> and she was like, you know, the only problem is that they're handwritten. You really need to type them all over. And, of course, I resisted because I was like, how do I type all of this over? But, you know, there was some benefit in rewriting the handwritten journals because you start to elaborate and remember. And so the story becomes evolved even more when I started to, you know, take that information that was handwritten and put it onto the computer. So there in my story continued and actually began again. And so I was inspired by the women that I served and, and the women that I encountered during the 10 years of private practice. Actually, it's my entire um, career as a midwife, but with specific attention to the last 10 years. Which of the incidents over the last 10 years as a midwife stand out in your mind as special? I remember my first labor, home birth, um, labor and birth journey. Of course, I've established a relationship for at least, you know, anywhere from six to nine months, depending on when the client comes into care. And um, the first client that I birthed outside of the hospital, I missed that birth. And it was tremendously emotionally <laughs> um, traumatizing for me. But I went on to establish a long-standing friendship with that client. We're, we're friends today. And I won't ever forget it because, you know, the first home birth, you're excited about it and you're, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm here, all of the prep work that you've done. And you're, you know, driving along happily, singing, going into the tunnel I can remember and then you get this call, frantic call from the husband and he's like, oh my God, Sakina, where are you? Like, I'm coming through the tunnel. You know, he's like, well, please hurry, please hurry. And then I get through the tunnel and the detour sign says, you know, do not enter. And, you know, I had to think, you know, how am I going to get to this client's home? I don't know that part of Brooklyn and I didn't know another, another way to get to her home. So the short and long of the story is I finally got there maybe five or ten minutes after he called, but the baby had been born. And the lesson in that was always you learn a different route to your client's home. And I had to learn a hard lesson with my first labor and birth experience. Sakina, what type of woman would be interested in using a midwife? I, Jay, that's a good question. Um, well, I will... I will explain it from my practice perspective. The women that enter into my practice are women who want to be involved in the care during the prenatal process as well as the labor and delivery. Not only the woman, but the couple, the family, the husband, they want to be the most important element in the health care process. Women who seek out midwives or, or women who value pregnancy and understand that pregnancy is a natural uh, phenomena. Um, they see it as a sacred moment and probably the most empowering or the most, um, I want to say, uh, life-changing moment in a woman's life. So women who come to me or women who approach pregnancy from a fearless position who value it in a more sacred way and those who want to be active participants in their care. Also those who 
want to have a less medicalized labor and birth experience. Chapter 10 is titled The Standing Birth. Explain what that chapter talks about. The Standing Birth? The Standing Birth is about a woman who literally stands to have her baby. And um, I had uh, established a very close relationship with a couple in New Jersey. And um, it was very um, meaningful to me because we had gotten so close and I had bonded not only with her, but her husband and her uh, young son. In the book, I'm not sure if I said young son or young daughter, because of course I try and protect uh, the identity of my clients. Standing birth is significant because most people in general view pregnancy, labor, and delivery, particularly labor and delivery, seeing women on their backs. So I really wanted to tell a story, uh, you know, a real viable story of a person who was able to birth standing um, in a standing position because, you know, we've been, you know, indoctrinated to believe that women can only birth on their backs. Um, So this woman, when I got there, she was about eight centimeters dilated and ready to birth. And it was wonderful because they had created such a warm, and in their home, her son was, you know, literally, she was really tall, about maybe five, five, nine, five, ten. And she, her son was, you know, standing under her belly, and the dog was there barking, and the husband was trying to support her. It was just such a beautiful scene because everybody was so involved. And um, the baby came out quite easily with her standing there. And, you know, we all cried. And this was this was a very happy, moving experience for me. I think part of that was because I connected so well with them as a couple, as a family. And the key is to have a good catcher's mitt. <laughs> I, I'd rather say strong hands. <laughs> Whatever it is, protect the baby. Yes, absolutely. How would you inter- How would you introduce this book to someone? I would say that this book is about an African American midwife's life journey, an extraordinary life journey, as well as a true labor and birth, true labor and birth stories of the lives of some incredibly brave women that I met along the way. It's a heartwarming and heartfelt memoir. And I think that it will definitely make you laugh, cry in some instances, but I think you will immerse yourself in a really true depiction of what it is to be a home birth midwife in New York City. Thank you for sharing this. It's a 226-page journal. Anything challenging about putting this together? Well, I think the most challenging part about writing this was the editing portion Rewriting and writing and correcting and recorrecting, I mean, that was so challenging to me, both physically, my shoulders ached and spazzed out, as well as mentally, you know, trying to find the right words to describe what I felt with each client, my experience. I want people to immerse themselves and really feel what I felt. And so I tried to be as forthcoming as I could and as descriptive as I could, and sometimes that was the difficult part. So I would say definitely editing it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's um, not that's not yeah. uncommon with most writers. Yeah. The book title is Journey to Birth, a story of midwife's journey and reflection of the heroic women she served along the way. Our author is Sakina Ohuhuru. Thank you, Sakina, for joining us today. Where do we get copies of this book? Or you can get copies from um, Amazon.com or AuthorHouse.com. And, um, of course, you just put in Journey to Birth or my name, Sakina Oyuhuru, and um, be sure to write a comment. Um, I'm also selling them as well, and it will be on my website, www.GentleSpiritBirth.com, um, probably by the end of this month and you can buy it directly from me as well. Thanks, Akina. Enjoyed visiting with you, and uh, hope to hear from you in the future again. Okay, great. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages.
Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Ye Gods, How the World Really Works, and the author is Betsy Miller, and Betsy joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Betsy. Hello, Steve. Glad to be with you. Well, great to have you with us. You're going to take us on quite a journey, a journey that really helps us to learn that consciousness or creative energy is in everything and that we gods, as you say, have been a part of all that is from the beginning. And we continue to create our lives through our conscious and unconscious thoughts. And there's much more to your book. We'll touch on a few other things, but it really comes back to we have this creative ability that is beyond our, I guess, our really our own understanding, our own wonder, right? Yeah. Yes. It, it, we can't believe that we're that powerful. You know, we feel so little and insignificant so often, but we, we are powerful beings, and we have created so much that's good and bad and ugly, and it's all for the good. It's all for our growth and the growth of everyone else. Well, that's an interesting, obviously, a very, in many ways, a unique point of view because so many people don't want to take responsibility for themselves. They like the good stuff that happens. They want to say, wow, look what I've done, but the bad stuff, they want to blame somebody else. <laughs> yes, that's that's true. Uh, we Because we... Uh, we are the creators, not uh, along with the God force or the all that is, but uh, we would like to get the devil in there somewhere. <laughs> and have The devil made me do it, huh? The devil made yeah, me do it. Right. Yeah. right. Well, before we get into more details about your book, and you've got uh, six different parts to this book, this is a very comprehensive and you've had uh, tremendous experiences to bring you to this point. Give us some of your background and why you decided to write your book. Well, um, my son, the death of my son when he was 16 provided the impetus for this book. It took uh, a number of years, but at his death, of course, I, like all parents who lose a child, was devastated. And I wanted to believe that there was an afterlife and that maybe I could get in touch with him. And I read many, many books, channeled books and books on life after death and uh, was intrigued. But, but there were so many aspects in these books that, like the aspects of different religions, depending on what branch of the church we come from or what religion we, we take as our own, uh, they all have so many different things about them, and they really ought to all be the same if there's a truth there. And I found the same thing with the uh, channel books that I read. I just, uh, th they differed so, and it seemed to be that the channeler got their ideas mixed in, and I really didn't want to have anything to do with that. But I wanted to talk to my son. And so 10 years after his death, I decided to play around with channeling. So I made a, uh, a pendulum thing and a little chart and, uh, and started playing around, um, meditating and whatnot. And by golly, uh, what was said to be Kevin came through, but he had the names of three men that he said were involved in a missing child case that was then in the news in San Francisco. 
uh, well, I didn't know what to do with that. But then I read an article in the Chronicle, uh, a well-known minister there, uh, Reverend Cecil Williams of the Glide Foundation Church. There was an article that said anyone could contact him. Um, not You didn't have to give anonymously. So I thought, well, I'll do that. So I called in the names and hung up. Three days later, there was an article in the San Francisco Chronicle that said, would the woman who called on that date call back? You have important information. So, Steve, I called, and I was told (laughs) that these were the names of three real men. Well, uh, this put me in contact with a forensic psychic on this case, and I worked with him not knowing a bit about what I was doing or thought I was doing. But anyway, the boy was never found. But I found my Kevin and the assurity that there was proof, that this was proof, those three names Mm -hmm. were proof of life after death and of our ability to contact the spirits. And that's what got me started. Well, those who haven't heard of this term before, channeling, as you put it right in your book, one of the early chapters, what the heck is channeling? (laughs) Well, let me tell you, (laughs) there are three important things here, Steve, that I'd like to start off with. The first point that this book is channeled, it's written with the help of my ghostwriter, Kaju, and all writers have one. Everyone has one. I'm using the term ghost for fun because while Kaju used to be on this realm, um, he's no longer here except in spirit. But he and many spirits in human form on our realm and, uh, and in spirit form and the one called heaven, that we call heaven, uh, help us navigate through life. And that means everyone can develop psychic capabilities. And that means basically being able to be in touch with your inner being that really is of God or all that is or whatever you choose to call it. <laughs> the, the second point is that as sparks of this creative force from the beginning, we are gods ourselves. And that's the reason for the book title, Ye Gods. In fact, there's kind of two meanings for that. First of all, the astounding one, Ye Gods, Betsy, you don't mean all this stuff you write. And Mm. the one that says, Ye Are Gods. And uh, the name of my website, which is YeGods.us, or U.S., YeGods.us. We gods create for love and joy and growth uh, of ourselves and everyone else. And the neat thing here, uh, Steve, is there's no right or wrong, but only growth uh, in the outcome of Mm. any of our creations. Now, this is hard to believe when the outcome uh, often means death to other living entities or, or the slowing of our overall evolving. And it's this tipping point that we've reached in many areas of life today But even here, the outcome eventually will bring new growth, just as the death of everything brings new life. And the third point here is that our creations drift into this dangerous tipping point, um, mainly because we aren't aware of our part here in all the creations. And like you say, we only (laughs) want to blame someone else, uh, our parents, the other political party, maybe those from some country that doesn't like us very much, uh, rather than getting in and reworking our own creations. And this is up to us, not some god out there on a cloud that's going to come in and make all things right. We are to do this. Uh, Then if we don't, our evolving stops, as is happening now, at those tipping points in several of the life dramas that we've created together. And that's, that would be my starting point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you use some other words that normally you don't hear about uh, from a, a Christian point of view, and, and you're taking more of a spiritual point of view, right? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. Not, not spiritual, Be- not, not Christian. Because, right, uh, even though, uh, I guess, reincarnation, karma, you do hear those terms from more Far Eastern religions. Well, even in a lot of, most of the people in the world today uh, believe in some form of reincarnation. Some of it's pretty wacky, but but still, uh, Mm -hmm. they believe in it. 
so so it really it, it embellishes the the best of of all religions, the basic things in all religions, which is would be the spirituality. But there remains consciousness after death. There is life after death. There's no doubt in your mind. No doubt whatsoever, because I've uh, I've heard so much uh, from my son, uh, from my guide, from others in my family uh, that, go, that have gone over and no long-distance charges for connection to, to speak to them. I can speak to them. Well, you've broken your book down in six different parts. We've touched on a couple of them. You have one about seeing the bigger picture. Of course, we hear a lot in the news about health care, and you've, you've got a chapter called A Revolution in Healthcare. Give us a little bit on your view of that. Well, our, our health care, as we look at it, is keeping us from dying, keeping us from death, and rather than helping us to live life and a lot of it brings on death. I mean, we all you have to do is read that second and third page ad in each for each medicine and all the things that you can get from taking that medicine. So these are these are things that come after we have already set ourselves up through our thoughts, through our creative thoughts, have set our bodies up uh, for certain maladies, and these. Are, are things that we have chosen for ourselves unbeknown uh, for some reason. And uh, only we so, can change them. I mean, the doctor can get in and, and slow things down, but generally we, if we don't get to the root cause of what it is emotionally that we, that we have let cause our uh, malady, it only comes back in some other form, and we have to deal with it. We've got to deal with the basic so we are responsible for our own health care, basically. Yes, yes. We seem to always want to turn somewhere else, don't we, instead of yes, being responsible. <laughs> uh-huh. That seems to be the one of the themes of your book, this responsibility, self-responsibility, and the creative ability to really uh, change our lives for the better. Yes, and, and um, what I have come up with, Steve, there's, there's so much love and good news in this book, uh, but there are three tipping points, three major tipping points that need our immediate attention, and we're drawn to that, and uh, we know the first, the, the accelerating earth changes, uh, second would be our use of force over diplomacy in the world, and the third, the disparity um, in income and living conditions of peoples around the world. And these three things are grabbing for our attention, begging us for our attention. And, and until we give our attention to these, there's not much else we can do about our health and other problems, except when we're working on positive things, our health will improve. And the, the health of the earth will improve. And that's where we are right now. We are at uh, tipping points that can go either way. And, and, and as I said, we will learn from these, and we will come out of them, but oh my, the things that we're putting ourselves through in the meantime, they're just mm. unnecessary. But that's the way often we learn, don't we? We have to go through yeah. incredible adversity to learn. Yes, yes. We're, um, we're already on the descending side of the tipping point uh, that we knew was coming of the earth changes. I mean, the, the, we were told this by our scientists that our energy sources and garbage in the ocean and removing the forests and everything. We, we knew this was coming, but we excused ourselves because uh, the dire results seemed years away. But now we're, mm -hmm. we're finding that they're here, <laughs> here and now. Right. Right. Well, you've had tremendous uh, experiences through the years where you understood that you can make things happen. I see where you, my goodness, you started a school of your own and then it grew to a second school and and you've been involved with uh, uh, this whole area of parapsychology and and written things and spoken and, and you're just a, an example that one person can really make a difference. Well, we can. We're the only, <laughs> that's the only way difference is going to be made. The trouble is we're kind of enthralled by those who have more money, more education, seem to have more knowledge than us. And so we sit back 
and give mm-hmm. our energy. We give it to them, and uh, and they're not making the best use of it. You know, um, it's the moneyed and military interests that are uh, uh, have been encouraged us to find comfort in materialism and non-thinking activities instead of listening to our deeper inner proddings. So we just have to let go of these, what you call, outer crutches. Well, we have to begin thinking positively uh, about the changes that will come uh, nationally, internationally, when, we, when our government, when we keep our government from disturbing the hearts and minds around the world and instead become examples of helping those who've also misused uh, themselves and their environment in harmful ways without knowing so. It's these things like typhoons and floods and droughts and fires that are escalating and will continue to do so. And scientists are now saying that even if we made changes tomorrow, Steve, that it will take generations to return back to mm-hmm. the semblance of order as we, we've known it. Well, it's a very fascinating, thought-provoking material in your book, Ye Gods, How the World Really Works. And we've been listening to Betsy Miller. She's the author. Betsy, tell us how to get your book. Oh, well, that's easy. You go to to yegods.us. <laughs> that's uh, uh, my website. You can get it directly there if you're pushing the right buttons. Or you can purchase it directly at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, that's the best way. Well, thank you so much for being with us on Author Talk. Okay, thank you, Steve, for having me.